Welcome back to another episode of Whiskey and Lemon. I am your host, Lana Mercedes. Today, we will cover the six remaining benefits of vulnerability. So if you haven't listened to last week's episode, you'll want to go back and listen to the first six that we covered there. I grouped the benefits we are covering today together as they are all related to more of the psychological side of things. Last week, we ended with benefit number six, which was that vulnerability increases intimacy. We talked about how relationships lacking a mental and emotional connection will struggle to have physical intimacy, and all forms of intimacy require vulnerability. So the first benefit for today, number seven, it makes our conflict management more productive. So not only do we build conflict management instead of just letting it run wild, it becomes more productive. According to an article written by Coursera, the most common reasons that conflict begins are personal values, whether real or perceived, perceptions in general, conflicting goals, power dynamics, and communication styles. They also list five communication styles, so I'm going to be citing their article directly to give a little bit more of an explanation on each one of them. There's accommodating. They state this style tends to be high in cooperation, but low in assertiveness. When you use this style, you resolve the disagreement by sacrificing your own needs and desires for those of the other party. This management style might benefit your work when conflicts are trivial and you need to move on quickly. At home, this style works when your relationship with your roommate, partner, or child is more important than being right. Next is avoiding. When avoiding, you try to dodge or bypass a conflict. This style of managing conflicts is low in assertiveness and cooperativeness. Avoidance is unproductive for handling most disputes because it may leave the other party feeling like you don't care. Also, if left unresolved, some conflicts become much more troublesome. However, an avoiding management style works in situations where 1. You need time to think through a disagreement, 2. You have more pressing problems to deal with first, and 3. The risks of confronting a problem outweigh the benefits. Next is collaborating. This style demands a high level of cooperation from all parties involved. Individuals in a dispute come together to find a respectful resolution that benefits everyone. Collaborating works best if you have plenty of time and are on the same power level as the other parties involved. If not, you may be better off choosing another style. There's also competing. When you use a competitive conflict management style, also known as forcing, you put your own needs and desires over those of others. This style is high in assertiveness and low in cooperation. In other words, it's the opposite of accommodating. While you might think this style would never be acceptable, it's sometimes needed when you are in a higher position of power than other parties and need to resolve a dispute quickly. And lastly, compromising. Compromising demands moderate assertiveness and cooperation from all parties involved. With this type of resolution, everyone gets something they want or need. This style of management conflict works well when time is limited. Because of time constraints, compromising isn't always as creative as collaborating and some parties may walk away less satisfied than others. And lastly, Coursera offers some questions to ask yourself when dealing with conflict to decide which style would be best to work through in a situation. How important are your needs and wants? What will happen if your needs and wants aren't met? How much do you value the other person or people involved? 
How much value do you place on the issue involved? Have you thought through the consequences of using different styles? Do you have the time and energy to address the situation right now? So when we don't work through things and sweep them under the rug, we can cause hindrances in relational intimacy. Here are some common elements that can block intimacy, especially with our partners. Number one, being apathetic with no desire to pivot out of that mode. Number two, avoiding important conversations, whether it only be deemed important by one party or not. Number three, resentment when a need or expectation is communicated and the other party disregards it. Number four, lack of encouragement. Some people are always looking for a way to belittle their partner's accomplishments based on a projection. Because it's coming from something internal, it doesn't necessarily mean that they are intentionally trying to tear them down. But if not acknowledged and rectified immediately, they can find themselves in a situation that they cannot get out of. And lastly, say it with me, vulnerability. Engaging in those important conversations requires letting your guard down so that you can have raw communication. And if you're maintaining some sense of distance and lack of approachability, you're wasting your time. Give it 100%. Otherwise, you'll be giving it 10% 10 different times to accomplish the same thing, which obviously is not productive. And if you're lucky, you'll accomplish the same result. By this time, your partner could also be checking out of the relationship entirely. The second benefit of vulnerability is that it improves self-awareness. When you are vulnerable, you are allowing your emotions to be seen. And by doing so, you are able to recognize and accept parts of yourself that you either never knew about or kept hidden for so long that you cannot process them. As much as you'd like to think you are a self-aware individual, if there is no one in your life whom you are allowing yourself to be completely vulnerable with, then your level of self-awareness has so much room for improvement. When you are vulnerable, you identify things about yourself that you otherwise would not. So by doing this, you are allowing for introspection. It may be scary or uncomfortable, but if you never work on this, there's so much potential that will be left unleashed. If there are things within you that you are even nervous to explore on your own, there are professionals that can help you do this in a safe manner. Because when there is something so deep inside that is keeping you from really connecting with someone, the only other option aside from working through them is to keep them locked up. And that will only escalate the problem. Number three, it decreases anxiety. When you are constantly concerned with showing that you are human, you will move through life tense and stressed out. And as we discussed last week, when we are so cautious about being vulnerable, it oftentimes can be to protect ourselves from pain. But we also mentioned that not doing things just to keep from a possible broken heart, hurt feelings, or even just a bruised ego will keep us feeling alone since we aren't connecting with anyone. The perpetual desire to control the image or perception you portray is not natural. So a careful attitude is actually doing you much more harm than good. When you drop these clutches for control and eliminate this tension, you will experience so much freedom. And trust me, you will notice the improvements in mood and physical well-being. In conclusion, ignoring our negative feelings can really impact our mental health far beyond what we realize. When we practice getting vulnerable and taking stock of our emotional patterns, we can proactively avoid chronic anxiety. As we are discussing the personal benefits of being vulnerable, there is also a great one for those we interact with. A bonus benefit of being vulnerable is that it helps us to live in the moment. And then, when we do this, we can be engaged in our conversations. This in turn helps us to be better listeners, and hence, number four, it improves empathy. 
The way in which we interpret, listen to, and manage our own feelings and emotions is often a direct reflection of the way we handle other people's feelings and emotions. It's a cycle as well. So the more we seek to understand the emotions of others we care about, the easier it will be to do so. And the more vulnerable we will become. When it comes to romantic relationships, this is key. You may not be able to fully empathize with a person, but the willingness and drive to do so with them makes for a very powerful relationship. Number five, it facilitates personal growth. If we want lasting relationships, we must be willing to do the work to get there. It won't come otherwise. In a romantic relationship, it is vital to want to change and grow together. You should feel like you have learned things from your partner and vice versa. As we continue to be vulnerable, it will become second nature, and this growth will provide the other mentioned benefits for us much more organically. As we mentioned with the decrease in anxiety, we will feel when being vulnerable, even when we think that we are able to be ourselves and be spontaneous, despite being guarded, chances are we will continue to subconsciously go against that. Our vulnerabilities, our desires and fears are who we are. If we suppress these true parts of us, we forget who we are, and no growth can come when we cannot even recognize ourselves. And our final benefit of this series is it nurtures emotional intelligence. As we've been discussing emotions, it is important to also address that not all emotions should be expressed, because there is a beautiful dichotomy between emotional vulnerability while also working through them before expressing them. We've talked about attachment styles on this podcast. A great episode to reference is number 20, Understanding Attachment Theory with Sarah Baldwin. I highly recommend listening to it, even if you already have. It really goes into the nuances of vulnerability with conflict management. We also discussed avoiding as a communication style at the top of this episode. And one of the ways in which this can be beneficial is when you need time to think through a disagreement. It's essentially an opportunity to work through your emotions and determine how to best communicate them in a healthy manner. Just keep in mind that the goal should always be to translate destructive and unnecessary emotions into language that is mature and productive. This does not mean that you can't express negative emotions like sadness or frustration. It just means the delivery matters. If you want someone to actually hear you, expressing your emotions clearly and vulnerably allows for an authentic conversation. However, if you, for example, use absolutes like you never do this or you always do that or call someone out of their name, it only shows your lack of emotional intelligence. There are always better ways to express yourself that are constructive while avoiding name calling and tantrum language as we did as children. Now, there is no judgment. I've lost my cool just like the rest of us, but the key is being aware that this is not an appropriate way to handle conflict or emotions. If you fear vulnerability, doing this is obviously not going to be easy, but it will definitely be worth it and be for the better. It's important that we as a society also support the expression of vulnerability. It is imperative for mental health. By no longer labeling vulnerable emotions as weak, we can encourage others to make strides. I've never been fond of those that find holding in emotions as a sign of strength. If you're doing this because it is uncomfortable for you, it actually takes more strength to break through that apprehension, to just be vulnerable and your real self. And in relationships, it's all about being comfortable enough to show that. Remember that running away from conflict or vulnerability in general will not help your relationship or you as an individual. Lastly, by leveraging the nurturing of emotional intelligence, you'll find it easier to bounce back from negative emotions. 
Reestablishing some sense of personal grounding or connection after being hurt in conflict will continue to help us put this practice of vulnerability into action. It will also help us see the strength we have when we know we are the ones in control of our own actions and emotions. And as a bonus, we build trust in our relationships when we are willing to not just share, but understand. To not just have the conversation, but have genuinely good intentions. Next week, episode 85 will be our last episode for the year. It is part three of this vulnerability series. Now that we can see all of the life-changing benefits that come from being vulnerable, we will discuss how we can actually put them into practice. Until then, I have two quotes for you this week. Martin Luther King Jr. stated, Whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly. I can never be what I ought to be until you are what you ought to be. This is the interrelated structure of reality. A quote by Buddha, holding on to anger is like grasping a hot coal with the intent of throwing it at someone else. You are the one who gets burned. If you are enjoying what you're hearing, please subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And as always, you can find me at Halon Mercedes on Instagram to submit your questions and topic suggestions. Bye.